Abun de Boschmaya Nitkadashma Te te malkuta Nehwe sebiana Aikana de Boschmaya Af baraha Hablan lachma de sunkanan yaumana Washbuklan haubain Waktahain Ai Kanadaf Khan Shpokan Habain Ula Dahlan Nesiuna Ela Batsan Min Bisha Amen. Our One Absolute Eternal Being of which we are born forth from the realm of the all and the only. I am empty within the awe of your presence and the purity of your name. Empower my creative beingness through your expansion from the ever-present realm as I realize our strength and virtue as one. On the manifest earth as in the unmanifest realm, Provide the nourishment of your insight and realization through me and in every present moment. Release my hidden past as I cancel my past concerns with others. Do not let me lose my true self and forgetfulness, but wholly release me from the errors of my perception. For thy realm is the absolute, the all, and the only and our strength of virtue and magnificence. From cosmic gathering to cosmic gathering, from age to age, may these be the rooted earth from which all of my actions flow. Amen. Holy Spirit within me, living in wholeness, moving in joy and love, I surrender to your will. Bring the radiance of your light into my heart and mind. Merge with me to manifest your will upon the earth. Make me a conduit of your infinite knowledge. Amen. Hello and welcome back to the God-Led Mystics Podcast. I am your guide and host, Reverend Rose, here to offer you another wonderful episode. In today's episode, I interviewed my wonderful friend and mentor, Dr. Jenny Kellogg. Truthfully, I invited Jenny to be on this podcast for no particular reason other than to share her energy. Dr. Jenny and I ended up discussing a myriad (laughs) of topics, but the gist of what we talked about really had to do with how Jenny came into her work in the Akashic Records, and how she is offering trauma-informed healing, as well as her work with the centaurs, Greece, and ancient Kemet. Jenny has been my own mentor and teacher in the Akashic Records, as well as my teacher of centaur healing, and of course, being in her presence has activated a form of my soul remembrance of Kemet. I feel deep soul ties to Jenny and I just love her. So I hope that you 
love this episode and if you would love to work with Jenny, of course there are tons of ways that she is available. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe. Thank you. Without further ado, enjoy. Hello, Jenny. It's so nice to have you here. It's my honor to be here with you. Thank you. Um, I would love if you could introduce yourself and, of course, answer the question, what does God mean to you? Okay. Um, my name is Jenny Kellogg, and I'm an astrologer, uh, a trauma-informed spiritual coach, an Akashic Records facilitator, and I'm also a channel. I channel centaurs, um, channel the Egyptian pantheon, um, and whatever other deities and masters are coming to me on any given day. Um, I have a PhD in Greek literature, and the first half of my adult life was spent in Greece, I'm fluent in modern Greek, and um, I've really been passionate about the refugee crisis in Greece, as well as Greek culture and building bridges between Greece and the U.S., and that is still an important part of my spiritual work. Um I began working with the centaurs in 2019, and then, um, which we can talk more about, and I uh, began working with the Akashic Records also in 2019, 2020, and really found a part of my calling in accessing the Akashic Records, doing work for clients, and teaching the Akashic Records um, for a new generation of students. And you can find my Akashic Records training website at akashictraining.com. And I practice uh, spiritual coaching and the modalities that I mentioned uh, at my website, which is amalthea, A-M-A-L-T-H-E-A.guide is my website. So thank you for having me. And I guess I'll say for your audience that I met you through the centaurs. <laughs> yes I love the centaurs we'll talk about the centaurs in length so what does God mean to you oh, I forgot to answer that part <laughs> um, um God is my one true love mm. God okay. is my my end and my beginning my everything um, it is the intelligence, the force, the energy that animates every single thing that I encounter in my life. And um, I guess you could say God is also my one true joy. So I guess we, we could get into a deep metaphysical discussion, but that's the answer right off the top of my head. I think that is a beautiful answer. And it brings me so much pleasure in my body to hear it out loud because I, I feel like a lot of people fear God or like are afraid of what God could do to them. And so yeah. to hear God, you know, explained as your one love and your one joy is such a refreshing way to really feel into who God really is. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
So Jenny, I brought you here today <laughs> without any particular goal in mind. <laughs> but um, I want to talk about the centaurs and your Akashic training, uh, just because like your the way that you hold the Akashic field is unlike anyone I've ever really met before. Hmm. And I feel like you're really grounded <laughs> in your experience of the Akash mm -hmm. um, and are really living it, you know, day in and day out. I, of course, I know a little bit about your life behind the scenes with, you know, the, um, I'm thinking specifically Anubis and Sobek and mm -hmm. how those beings come to you. But um, I'm just thinking a lot about how you really, uh, hold this frequency in a way that impacts your everyday life and um, sometimes I feel like we think you know the Akash is like someplace that we journey to in meditation mm -hmm. um, but from my understanding of the Akash is that it lives within us at all times in all spaces in all parallels and we're both writing contracts and removing stories from our Akash daily throughout our experience of life yes so I, I feel like um I feel like you really embody that experience of um <laughs> just holding that eternal truth of what the Akash really is <laughs> there's a little dude <laughs> coming in here I'm gonna mute myself just a second Okay, I think he'll be all right now. <laughs> he saw mom, you know, mm -hmm. it happens with toddlers and mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I don't know if you wanted to add anything there, I would love to hear just, you know, how, how really you came to um, awaken to your gift uh, and to your like embodiment of this work. I don't feel like I ever really asked those questions to you before. Yep, I'd be glad to talk about that. Um, well, despite my answer that I gave to you about God, um, I was raised in a household of atheists. And, you know, God and Jesus were something for those other people, not for us. And um, I was you know, coming from a very intellectual background. I also... Uh, I was born at 30 weeks and I spent the first four to six months of my life in the hospital. And so that experience um, left me profoundly ungrounded. Um, and I had a very ungrounded as a result of PTSD from my childhood experience um, as a child. Um, I also experienced epilepsy and a lot of, you know, things that you would say traditionally mark someone who is spiritual or shaman or the healer in the community. Um, I had those experiences as, a, experiences as a child, remembering my past lives, being quote unquote psychic, labeled and studied as a hypersensitive child. And as a result of that, I 
I grew into my 20s super ungrounded. I had panic attacks nearly every day of my life, starting in puberty around age 13. And so I was very afraid of being in my body um, because of the emotional and physical pain that I had experienced. And as well in our culture, you know, our culture rewards disassociation and splitting the mind and body and the soul. Um, and so I, you know, started a journey back to myself in my 20s, um, starting with seeing herbalist, naturopath, doing craniosacral therapy. I became a yoga instructor. And yoga was really my first turning point because I couldn't not be in my body and do yoga. And, <laughs> and so yoga also brought me back to God um, that I observed myself in my yoga teacher training and everyone was there for physical reasons. And I just started like talking about how I was there for spiritual reasons in our initial classes. And so I was like, what's happening to me? And, you know, um, Hatha yoga brought me to chanting and the Vedas and Indian spiritual tradition. And gradually, I uh, found the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his gurus. And after several years in my yoga teacher training program, it was like a switch was flipped. And I went from no God to God in like a year. Uh, and just totally understanding who I was, realizing that I had been, you know, kind of separated from my beloved, I might say, <laughs> for the first 30-ish years of my life and also realizing that I was quote-unquote good at meditation you know I could go deep very quickly I could have experiences and that was very confusing to me um, and so managing that initial state of trying to come back into my body understand my trauma commune with God or the divine and realizing that I quickly could just go into another realm um, led me to, I, I suppose I could have chosen to stay dissociated, but I didn't. Yeah. And I went on a journey of um, really teaching myself how to be in my body and in another realm or another state of being at the same time, which given my traumatic childhood and all the things that my younger self went through is, is the gift I felt I could give her that she didn't have, you know, because she didn't forget God. It had to be forgotten out of her. Yeah. And so that's, you know, I, I've learned a lot about trauma. I studied with Dr. Gabor Mate and I'm a certified compassionate inquiry practitioner. Um, and it's still a work in progress. My therapist is always trying to get me to come back into the body over and over again, like all of us. <laughs> but I really made a commitment as I was choosing my spiritual life and my spiritual path to not forget the body um, and, and to be able to hold altered states of consciousness without medicine and without my you know without leaving my body mm -hmm. um yep. so 
that's the background. I found the Akashic records um, and I had this experience where I thought the Akashic records was just some new age term. It was like something theosophists thought up and, you know, (laughs) it was like just a thing people throw around. And my friend, uh, David Leskowitz, with whom I channel the centaurs, he told me he had met with an Akashic Records practitioner and I just had to do it. And I was like negative and saying, no, and I'm not going to do that. Um, But at the same time, for about a year prior to that conversation, I had this feeling like like I was going to start channeling. I thought I was like going to be a medium who worked with deceased people or something like that. I just had this feeling there's this force that's going to take over me and I don't know what it is. And I was scared. And so when I had my first Akashic Records session, to the credit of my records and guides, they never used the term Akashic Records in the session but they told me that I was going to be translating the language of light. And, um, and in the session, my initial session with someone who became my teacher, I was struck by how, as soon as she opened my records, I felt like I had been meditating for an hour and I had gotten myself into a very high state. And so that was my first clue that this was real and I couldn't turn away from it. Um, and the session was wonderful and revealing and uplifting and supportive, but I was still kind of skeptical even afterwards. And this, um, reader called me and said afterwards, she said, I'd like to invite you to join my class that you really need to learn to open your records. And I came up with every excuse why I couldn't do it. Um, I was going to spend the summer this was true. I was leading a group of 20 volunteers working in the refugee crisis on a Greek Island who had time for this Akashic records thing. And, but she was really persistent. And so I said, yes. And I, I took the first class and learned how to access my records. And I went to a Greek Island to volunteer with refugees. And on this Island, I discovered I had a past life and I had all of this past life karma with this place and being able to access my records was such a gift and support during a very difficult time. It made the whole thing just a joy and an amazing experience that from that point on, I completely dedicated myself to the records because I saw what it could do for me um, Mm -hmm. and went on to where I am now. Wow. So it supported you in Greece during that time. Completely. In fact, it was essential in me understanding some difficult or personal situations that I had gotten into. And I, I, I've been at that point, I had been living in Greece on and off for 20 years and I'd never been to this island and I couldn't understand the emotional reaction I was having to this island. I thought like, well, I'm working around a lot of traumatized individuals. Am I just in an emotional state? But my records showed that it was more than that. Hmm. Isn't that epic? (laughs) It was epic, for sure. 
it's so fascinating to peel back the layers and be like oh my goodness what is actually in here you know and just like the way that our souls begin to layer upon themselves um, lifetime after lifetime and how we incarnate with you know certain soul groups and beings which you know really bring us full circle in the zero point that we are right now (laughs) I find it to be so fascinating really because um I I don't know if I would say I was always psychic but when I was when I moved from Arizona to Maine I started receiving visions of spontaneous past life remembrances and I remember finding like a YouTube video (laughs) of like how to access your records right because I'm like what is going on here and I I remember going in there and like nothing really happening but (laughs) when I would fall asleep that night I would dream about that lifetime that you know I was really seeking to explore And it was so fascinating to me because it began to show me just how interconnected these lifetimes and these parallels really are. And ironically enough, that's what sent me into um, astrocardiography, which I realized Maine is my south node line. And (laughs) I was like, oh, well, that makes total sense why I'm remembering all this stuff here. And of course, I spent two years in Maine doing like deep soul work until I completed the cycle. It's just so fascinating because I've always kind of wanted to tell this story in its fullest and I'll butcher it here. One day I'll tell it completely. But um, I had to like close a cycle of my lifetime where... I mean, I guess I'll I'll just try to say it bluntly. I was murdered, had to meet my murderer, and then had to choose to separate from this man in a way that did not end up in my death. (laughs) Which is kind of scary to say out loud. But um, I had to basically like take my my soul aspect back from him by, by saying we can't do this anymore and closing the chapter and then leaving and then instantly I moved from Maine and never looked back so it's just it's so fascinating to like be able to look at these soul layers of the self and realize how we keep incarnating and being called to certain places in order to complete the cycle or finish the cycle and to be fair, and I've never admitted this publicly, that was my experience on this Greek island is I had to meet the person who had killed me in a past life wow. as a colleague and, uh, you know, face that. And yeah. it took time even after I left that place, working with my records to face it and to really do clearing. It took two or three years, um, but I agree with you. And um, that's the benefit of the records is you don't have to, I mean, you're describing a very intense karmic situation that you luckily made your way through. Um, But with the records, sometimes you don't have to have such an intense confrontation. You Mm -hmm. can just slowly address it and work through the various um, resonances 
at the different levels of your soul and through different lifetimes. Right. Yeah, I think that is the benefit of the records is like you can go in there and do some of the clearing work by being present rather than just being flown around the world with your soul to actually address every single person as they come up (laughs) because it can be a lot like when you feel those soul nudges and you feel you know that internal longing and and then you meet that person it's so fascinating because I've been thinking about this experience a lot I actually think I'm going through another healing phase of this experience because I keep remembering things like deeper um, like the fact that the night I had that dream, that man came into my life. Like I met him on Instagram. It's kind right. of a funny story, but um, he messaged me on Instagram. That's how I met him. The night after that dream, I never recognized like that pattern before and how quick like these, you know, as they come up to heal, as they come up to be reclaimed wherever you are, just how fast, like in the quantum fabric that they materialize. And so it's just so Mm -hmm. fascinating because I've been doing, like I said, another layer of healing that karma with that individual person. Now with my partner, it's very strange for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a good reminder to go back into my records and (laughs) do some work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm. And our souls, you know, have experienced so many things. I also feel like where we are at collectively, it feels like everything's kind of speeding up. And so it's like we're remembering things faster. We're experiencing them deeper. We're purifying them, um, you know, even quicker. And we're being asked to resolve and dissolve into what's really happening. So I feel like, you know, everything's just kind of coming up um I I guess like more intensely for everyone right now I agree and and I think that's one reason why you and I are doing the work that we do now Mm -hmm. um because we all need to hold space for each other while this process accelerates Uh, yeah (laughs) hold on to your pants everyone (laughs) exactly I feel that way all the time it's like I swear we go into these little portals where you like, yeah, of course, lots of people have experienced this phenomena, but you know, when you walk through the doorway and then you suddenly forget why you're there, but I feel like that's happening more often in random scenarios where, I don't know, you say like you walk into a store and then suddenly you don't remember why you're there or you're being called into these places, but you have no real understanding of why you're being called there other than you have to listen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I always follow those soul nudges. <laughs> I I don't know um if you've ever watched the show uh Dirk Bentley's, I think it's Dirk Bentley's Holistic Detective Agency, but I feel like oh my it's such a good show. I think it's a book originally, but mm-hmm. it's about um it's about a man who is following what he what he kind of considers like the universe's nudges and so he goes on this journey to solve a mystery guided simply by his intuitive feeling about everything that happens and he's a total chaotic mess and of course the whole show is kind of chaotic in in general 
But what I really appreciated about it is it shows a very tangible way of my internal matrix yeah. <laughs> of how I think about things and how how I can recognize those like little soul nudges of go to this house over here, knock on the door, there's something there for you. They make no sense, but you have to follow them because you know there's a mystery to be solved on the other side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like, like you said, you know, we're so disassociated from ourselves that we don't really allow ourselves to follow those soul nudges or we talk ourselves out of them. A hundred percent. And that's one of the things that I really love helping people discern. Like I have mm -hmm. a blog post on my website called what is claircognizance so that people can start to understand the messages or voices and discern where they're coming from in their head. You know, is it coming from a part of self, a childhood part of self, a negative part of self, the voice of, um, of a parent? Or, you know, is it like, what aspect of you is it coming from? Mm -hmm. um, and it's really important to discern not only the voices, but what's, ha what's happening in your body. How are you mm -hmm. feeling and how are you reacting as you receive this information? Right. That's an incredibly important part of it because the body is never lying to you. It's always revealing its innate truth. I feel like it's... I feel like the body is the best place to begin, but most people don't actually begin there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it can be hard for us to really be in our body. I've recognized, especially with some of my clients recently, I've been doing some, I've been focusing a lot on somatic healing with my clients and I'm recognizing just how disassociated people really are in this journey of self-discovery. Because of course we come into our body and like you said, we find pain there and pain's not enjoyable. Right. So, you know, we don't want to feel the pain. And as soon as we feel the pain, then we're like, okay, X is stage left. We got to go now. But it's actually in going inside and investigating what's in there where we begin to follow like that healing process and that healing thread. Mm -hmm. I mean, the body really does have all the information that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I began like my journey with the Akash is because of course in the Reiki way, our our teachers taught us that the Akash was stored in the throat. So we could actually access the Akash by coming into the throat and opening mm -hmm. the space yeah. and realizing how the quantum reality of the throat manifests in the body all the way through. So that's kind of where I, you know, began this journey with understanding the Akash because it 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 recognized and it portrayed the um just the the fabric of the biofield um of the body and this the nature of the cells, just how you know every cell is holding its own information and its own infinite wisdom of reality it's really quite fascinating when we go down to the molecular level of the body <laughs> it's true yeah I agree I've been you can also open the records of your body mm -hmm. and uh that's also a fun fun thing to do when you feel up to it it's not always 
It's not always what you expect. Right. I feel like I need to do that as a walk-in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm sure there's plenty of things this body has experienced before I was aware of it. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. I never thought of that, although I have kind of considered like what happened to this body before the age of 12, that those have been continuous thoughts I've had in my head, but I've never gone quite deeper than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would love, speaking of your blogs, um, you write wonderfully. And I keep thinking about your Nessus blog that you wrote, which I feel like was like one of the first groundbreaking shifts on who Nessus really is in an astrological way and in a healing way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I think you were there for discovering Nessus as a healer. Um, so um, I guess I should start at the beginning with centaurs, um, which is that as an astrologer, my Chiron is conjunct my natal Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And so I always wanted to know like, what is this asteroid that is conjunct my Jupiter? How does this affect me? And um, I started, you know, Googling, studying the centaurs, looking at the work of Melanie Reinhardt and others. Um, and that led me to David Leskowitz's work. And I think he's really the first centaur channel that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um, and he began, began a practice of uh, attuning and I'd say propitiating the centaurs um, with mantra and poetry. And so when I met him, it was like a huge light bulb went off, you know, inside of me. Like, I can't believe someone does this. This is, <laughs> I, I can do it too. How do I know how to do this? I'm not sure. Um, and so we began holding uh, group attunements and group guided meditations with the uh, centaur deities themselves corresponding to the astro astrological minor planets Mm -hmm. aka asteroids um, of the centaur planets and as soon as we started doing that I became aware that there are more than just the four uh, centaurs that David was working with and Nessus was one of them and as a student of Greek myth, I knew who Nessus was, and it's not pretty. If you look at the myth of Nessus, you know, he's kind of an exiled rapist who tries to rape some more. Um, and I I knew, though, from our centaur practice that the centaurs were so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, you know, got a group together and offered healing to these, some of these forgotten, scary, exiled centaurs like Nessus. And um, for me, Nessus is really a guide to um, healing the wounds of the heart that were created, maybe not even in this lifetime, but by our ancestors or in other generations that compound and create uh, a barrier to openness to God and to others in our lives and so I see Nessus as really deeply healing all of that pain at the heart center Um, what Eckhart Tolle would call the pain body for example 
-hmm. And um, I'm not afraid to talk about that publicly and like say, this is what I think Nessus is and offers to us. Um, Whether you're looking at Nessus in your astrological chart or whether you would like to meditate and work with Nessus as a guide, um, there's either approach offers a lot of healing. And so uh, you're referring to a blog I wrote. I really put my heart and soul into that blog. And it 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 really it's keeps me well ranked on Google and brings in a lot of people who are interested in this work. So yeah. I'm grateful to Nessus for that. Um, well, when, you know, I remember being in one of the centaur groups with you and having Nessus come into my psyche and Nessus was I didn't know anything about Nessus's myth at this point at all but I saw him as decrepit a hooded figure and he kept telling me my heart hurts my heart hurts please please heal my heart and I'm like this shit is crazy (laughs) and I was like I don't even know who you are what do you want and he was like please my heart is just broken and it hurts so much I need help and so I I put my hands on his heart and I started just pulling this stuff out of his heart and it gives me chills actually talking about it but um once I finished pulling stuff out he transformed into this beautiful stallion and he presented himself as Nessus and it was in that moment I was like what is going on? And then I found out, of course, his myth. He died right to an arrow to the heart. Was that? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and that when I was like, oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> this stuff is real. <laughs> if that makes sense. And, then, you know, of course, that's when he told me and began to really become my guide. But what I really got from him in that moment is that the centaurs wanted to transcend their mythos that Mm. by telling these same stories of the centaurs, we were keeping them trapped in patterns of pain and suffering. And that they're like you said, are so much more than that and have so much different, you know, realities for us to live in that kind of sent me on a wild journey thinking about even just lots of the greek myths that we share you know even around specifically or um zeus uh you know the stories of zeus right are pretty horrible and i think i keep thinking like we have this idea of jupiter and the astrology chart as being benefic and good luck and optimism but you read his mythos and he sounds like an asshole yeah (laughs) exactly why like an opportunistic jerky male yeah exactly so it was in you know that nessus experience where i started to question all of the stories that i've been told about everything and you know to consider like what if there are alternative stories that are available here or what if there are stories that these deities want to write themselves like it's totally possible. So I, that was probably one of the best centaur healings ever. (laughs) Well, thank you for being a part of it. And it was. I agree with you that um, 
at this time, I mean, we were talking about all the the collective energy um, being ready for clearing and healing and spiritual growth speeding up. And that's at play at what I would call the causal level as well, or, you know, the level of pure ideas or the level of thought templates that we met, that our world is manifesting through. And the centaur work really opened my eyes to that, gave me a framework to be able to do that through, you know, what David created through the groups, the initial groups that you were in. And now I teach a class called the Akashic Records of Things. And we spend two of the lessons working with archetypes and deities um, and doing something like a healing ceremony and inviting them to come in and show us what needs to be cleared, who they want to be now, how they can support us. Um, and so I just encourage you and the listeners to really consider that, um, that you don't have to accept the form of a deity that has been handed down. Um, and to use critical thinking, I mean, you you don't want to invent something whole cloth, but but as you say, be in dialogue with these archetypes or deities and ask, you know, how they want to manifest now. Yeah, I love that. I I have to give total praise to Nessus for that because I feel like he's such a good guide into. Uh, stewarding the psyche in a way like he really has been like um, a guardian of the threshold I might call him where he Mm -hmm. could take me deeper into exploring what my truth is versus what has been told to me as true and of course I mean you know but not everyone knows that listens, but I'm totally hot for not Nessus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Secondary benefit is that if you channel him, he will appear to you as hot. <laughs> He's one of the most beautiful centaurs I ever saw in the world. And I asked him one time, I was like, why do you appear this way? And he told me verbatim, you wouldn't trust me to guide you into the dark if I didn't show up this way. And I was like, <laughs> You're right. I probably would follow a really attractive male into the depths. <laughs> so he's, I don't know, he's just, he's hilarious to me. Every time I work with him, I feel like so riveted, even though we explore things that are less than enjoyable some days. <laughs> Definitely. So what are the major centaurs you're working with in um centaur healing now so um i encourage the listeners to check out centaurhealing.earth and we have attunements on thursdays at 3 30 p.m eastern so we have now created four levels um four separate attunements that progress in um complexity with the centaurs so the first level uh, begins with chiron cariclo uh, folus and okiroi and then through the work that we did um, in 2020 bringing through new centaurs um, in level four we work with 
those four centaurs plus we have added Asbolus, uh, Hylonomi, Solaris, uh, Nessus, and Therius. Hmm. So that's nine centaurs and uh, we work with them as energy healers and we attune ourselves um, to different energy centers in our bodies working with centaurs hmm. so fascinating because they still they still come forward and like very specifically choose people for me to work with on the centaur healing mm -hmm. <laughs> they're so specific as they're like this person needs us we're coming in now <laughs> yeah and a lot of people find our group because they had a dream of a centaur. They did a guided meditation on some other astrological phenomenon and then centaurs were there, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so just I, riveting, I think is the word that I would use because they're so particular about the frequency that they're stewarding. And the way I really see them is they're like, portal holders or as I called Nessus like guardians of the threshold they seem to allow us or I don't know if allow is the right word but they kind of hold the space for us to go deeper and to explore really what's in there I'm thinking okay. about this a lot now <laughs> yes you know so Nessus works with the front of the heart or like you know those conscious wounds Whereas Therius, you know, works with the way we protect the back of our heart and are afraid of our vulnerability. And you are one of the few people who really get Therius. It's a, you know, again, if you look it up, his name means beast in Greek, wild beast. And he really is a protector of the wild, protector of um, vulnerable, the vulnerable animal nature that we all possess. Yep. I was suddenly reminded that Silas has um, Darius conjunct moon. And I I have spent time thinking about how I'm holding that frequency for him as his mother. <laughs> because I feel like I really am into protecting his primal nature and yeah. like allowing him to have a lot of freedom. It's so funny. He's, he's starting to really understand things a lot. Like he catches on really quickly now, of course, at his developmental stage. And the other day <laughs> I looked at him and I swear God just downloaded this phrase in my head, but he was not listening to me. There's like dangerous things around outside. And I looked at him and I said, I give you a lot of freedom. If you cannot trust me to tell you no, I have to restrict you. And he instantly went back. Like, okay, mom. <laughs> How beautiful. It's that's my phrase now, which sounds it sounds like a complex thing to tell a one and a half year old, but right. I swear to you he gets it. Like he yeah. totally gets what I'm saying. Because of course I let him I let him explore all that he wants, but when he is picking up, you know, dangerous tools or getting himself into precarious situations, I obviously need him to listen to me. <laughs> And I've just been thinking a lot about how, you know, um, I I foster that for him so then that he can be intact in that way. Um, I'm yeah. just thinking about, 
you know, I, I don't even know if I've ever looked at where Therius is in my chart, but I love to really look at the chart from the point of the centaurs and well, all asteroids really, but I mean, there's millions of asteroids. Mm-hmm. The asteroids are such a fun way to explore some of these like different layers. Mm-hmm. Who would you say your favorite asteroid is or centaur to work with? Um, Nessus. <laughs> of course (laughs) yeah um Nessus and Therius are really you know I would say my closest guides yeah so how do you work with them in an embodied way if I can ask um well I I think the way I would work with them in an embodied way is in in those moments where where you're really meeting your own um, trauma, your own reactivity, uh, your own emotional volatility or stories. And um, I really work with Nessus to help me keep my heart open, Therius just as a calming and grounding guide. Um, And actually Solaris, which is another male centaur, very another handsome male centaur. Um, Solaris works with the brainstem, mm-hmm. and we receive his energy in our level four attunement, kind of close to the medulla oblongata. And for me, because I had so much trauma, birth trauma, there is a kind of primal fear, like all of us kind of in my brainstem area. And, you know, when that gets triggered, I, I call in Solaris to just help me really ground. And he always gives me an image of like, as you would touch the side flank of a horse, you know, and just like feel the warmth and you feel the, the texture of the fur. Um, And so, you know, that's a, you can say that's my imagination or some sort of felt visualization that I use to help me ground. Yeah. Your imagination is incredibly healing though. That's definitely one of the things that I try to get across to people when they come to me for dream work is, you know, people often try to separate their waking reality from their sleeping reality. And there is no real separation. It's still your brain that is creating that Um, it's just exploring a different facet of your brain and your reality so of course we like to think since we can't we can't materialize or we have not yet materialized what happens in our dreams that it's somehow a false sense of reality and um of course we know most of us have experienced that that is not entirely true uh, because, you know, the the dream time is really revealing what is deep within the psyche. I find that to be the same with your imagination. And mm-hmm. so I love to pose the question to my students. So what if it's your imagination? What makes that any less real? Right. Yeah. I, um, 
I think that we need to give more power to our imagination. Because uh, of course, that's kind of what gets robbed from children in many ways is that, you know, yeah. their gifts of tuning into the unseen realm is um, connected deeply to their imagination. Yeah, it's how your soul speaks to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say the same, even, you know, when I do find myself in the records, it's like, that question does come up, what if I'm just imagining this? But I, I just kind of like, again, ask that question. So what if I'm imagining it? <laughs> so what? It's It works. It, it's alive for me. And it's also giving me meaning while collapsing things that I need to shut down. So. Yeah. And also, you know, you can discern, like, say you wanted to sit down and write a story from your imagination. Right. For me, that takes effort. It's like, okay, imagination, give it to me. Like, let's like, now what, you know? But when you're in your records, things happen that you couldn't even conceive of. And maybe, yes, it is activating the part of your brain where your imagination also resides. And there is some imaginative quality to it. Um, but it's so, there's so little effort. And if you move into effort, then you know something's off. Beautifully said. It's fascinating how we sometimes try to force and prod and push <laughs> within that space when simply we're being protected in a way. I guess like when I feel like things aren't being revealed, I feel like it's, you know, my divine presence or my Holy Spirit suggesting that now is not the time for me to know what I need to know. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to just take a break for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah exactly like there is there is information in that pause mm -hmm. yeah it's and again like you said we are celebrated in being disassociated so we don't often recognize the sacredness that is in that pause I think that's really where yeah. this continual pushing of life is dishonored is that like you know, those moments where we're in what I would call the cosmic womb space, or which is like the void or the nothingness. Um, this is a place of dissolution and repair in a way, but we're not like celebrated in pausing in those moments. And then of course, we're forced into them sometimes by our bodies, whether that be through sickness or through situations where things just completely dissolve, when we could just honor <laughs> that nothingness, we could just honor that sacred pause and let it be the season that it needs to happen. Yeah, totally. We don't know how to do that at all. Mm -mm. It's a constant deconditioning. I find myself in that, you know, even as a mother, like, Oh my goodness. Sometimes when, you know, my child is napping, I'm like, I should do nothing. And then I'm like, mm, let me fill this with 15 activities. <laughs> okay. It's like, no, 
I'm just going to sit here and read a book and enjoy myself for a moment. Mm-hmm. So funny how that is. Mm-hmm. So Jenny, um, how can we work with you? What what do you offer right now? Uh, I currently offer one-off sessions in astrology and the Akashic Records. I also offer Compassionate Inquiry, which is an embodied-based method of psychotherapy. Um, And you can come regularly or not as needed for those sessions. And I offer guided meditations with the centaurs at centaurhealing.earth. I have a book club, which you can find on my website. We meet the third Thursday of the month at 5 p.m. And we typically discuss spiritual themed books. Um, And I teach the Akashic Records. I teach a class called Learn to Open and Explore Your Personal Akashic Records. And that's um, an audio class available for download at akashictraining.com. And I'm always growing and expanding, finding new ways to share what my soul and my guides want me to share. So who knows, maybe sometime soon I'll be doing more with Egypt. We'll see. I would love that. I feel like you have just being in your presence has fine-tuned me to my deep remembrance of my Egyptian self Um, because being in your presence has really helped me remember what I know to be true about this pantheon yeah (laughs) yeah maybe we could talk a little bit about that for a moment I mean how has that (laughs) manifested for you because I know you're working with Sekhmet and maybe some other deities oh man how has that come for me well it's actually quite fascinating I'm currently on a journey through the comedic tree of life of course we recognize that the tree of life is typically uh, a kabbalist um yes artifact I don't know if that's the the right word but (laughs) I have started working with this man who has actually taken me on a really deep dive to the hidden Egyptian mysteries. He's basically been able to um, transcribe a lot of the mysteries that were forgotten Mm -hmm. into works of art that are available for us to remember. So I've been journeying through the tree of life and just how um, the Kabbalist tree of life really actually comes from the ancient comedics and it's been very fascinating I actually want to hold I was thinking that I would hold a study group on it just to get it out there and to put it back into the world but um it's I'm kind of <laughs> I'm feeling kind of terrified <laughs> mm-hmm. in working with this pantheon because it feels almost like I think this is just what I'm making up in my mind that I'm betraying almost like my ancestry. I don't know if that makes any sense. There's just something inside of me that's like, why would you choose to work with the Egyptian pantheon when there's so many other, you know, beings of light or, you know, ancestral deities that 
are available, but I keep just being reminded how like my holy mother is Hawthorne. Like I came here to hold the Hawthorne frequency. And when I first really started exploring my uh my directional guides, it was Sekhmet who was there saying, I'm here with this wisdom for you whenever you're ready. And of course it's been a journey. So everything I do is based on the Egyptian pantheon <laughs> at this point. And sometimes it just, it, it can feel, um, it's one, really intimidating. And two, it can feel just so much larger than life because there is so much to really discover when it comes to this pantheon. And to like, to look at the way that this pantheon was just a sacred representation of nature. Like, I think that yes. that's something that we often miss in a way is like that, you know, here are these divinities and these deities, but who they really were, were archetypes and aspects of the human psyche and also of nature. So yeah, super long answer, but everything I do is based on that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that was one of the things that I discovered in my records, you know, um, I started coming, I started out coming from an Indian background and, you know, have my guru mm -hmm. and we were encouraged, you know, not to look beyond that. And so when you really start investigating the history of our souls and of spirituality and mysticism on earth, it just leads back to Egypt. Yeah. Regardless of, you know, whether you've had the same experience in your past lives as I have, mm -hmm. um, and so I agree, it's almost like the cosmic matrix um, underlying these things. And, and the, the, those teachings, you know, depending on your past lives, they were held in secrecy. So of course you feel, you know, uncomfortable <laughs> revealing it in the modern context. Mm -hmm. And that's the conflict that I often feel, you know, are we am I allowed to kind of take this out of a private initiatory context right. and how and why, and do we need another person saying they're channeling ISIS? For example, in my case, you know, and, um, but I agree with you on the point about nature. There's a really wonderful book called The Dawning Moon of the Mind by Susan Brind Morrow, which is her own translation of the pyramid texts. Mm -hmm. And she makes two points. One that, you know, the Egyptians were observing the natural world. Right. Uh, and the other is that any type of sacred uh, spirituality or magic is similar to what you would call tantra or other practices working with kundalini or your energy body right and we can see that in in the egyptian teachings right that's been this has pretty much been the whole basis of my work is that we go back so far and where it begins in written history is egypt so therefore, I must just be working with the primordial frequency of this planet that has that has 
lasted through the rise and fall of thousands of empires on this earth. Their wisdom has been deeply rooted in this planet and the way that they etched it into stone, I believe has made it so that the minerals remember and we're always brought back to it. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, I've been working with Egyptian Tantra very closely and they, this, I, why can't I think of his name? Um, I'm working with this man named Dr. Muata Ashby. Oh, uh-huh. You know, he talks about, he actually shows the overlays of like Shiva and um, Osiris, or excuse me, um, not Osiris, Horus just oh no no it was Osiris sorry I'm I'm like thinking of the stories that we're talking about and just the way you know that it is totally believed that Hindu mythology really was born of comedic nature and of course Isis the cult of Isis being the original form of Christianity or giving birth to Christianity and the belief that Yeshua did live a, a portion of his life in Egypt, whether or not that was in his lost years or in his childhood. Mm -hmm. um, he still was a pivotal point of conscious awakening in Egypt. So yeah. it's just also fascinating. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm with you. It's um just really incredible to consider how everything goes back to Egypt and that's I kind of feel like the basis of my work yeah. uh, is that everything returns back to this one place and everything was pretty much born of this one place and maybe that's not entirely true but it totally feels true for the western culture that we have um, and especially with Christianity and uh, Judaism and Catholicism, even um, of Islam. Islam was born of that same frequency. So it's just so fascinating to bring everyone back there because these like divinities and these deities are just waiting for us to remember. And they're so gentle. Of course, my work, my Reiki work is really with Sekhmet. But I find such peace and solace when working. I guess my a lot of my work, like when I'm doing self-work, I look to Ma'at. When I'm doing womb work and um, birth work, I'm working with Hathor. So it's like I'm working with these frequencies because they're holding these archetypal energies. And that's kind of the basis of everything that we have currently. And of course you know, the church would tell tell us that we're being blasphemous, but it's true. Yeah. Like ultimately, <laughs> whether we want to believe it or not, it is true. Alexandria was one of, you know, the original, um, well, if we're talking, I'm thinking a scene right now, Alexandria held in a scene library. So that tells me that there was a sacred communication that was happening between mystery school lifestyles. Mm -hmm. So 
everything I do, <laughs> whether it's working with Miocene aspect and Melchizedek, who is still just another form that, you know, was like really anchored within Egypt. It all, it all goes back to Egypt. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. It sounds so like terrifying to say that out loud. It all goes back to Egypt. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, and what we're talking about is more than just, you know, the Wikipedia entry on what this deity means. Right, because it's it's like a an interpersonal relationship that happens in a deep communication style. Yes. Mm -hmm. So um, I just love the way that you've casually dropped in and out of being like, oh, Sobek is here. Oh, I'm working with Anubis now. <laughs> yeah, it was a little intimidating at first. And, you know, it's hard to admit. But, but I agree with you that, uh, you know, these deities come for specific purposes. They work with specific frequencies. And when it comes to client work, they know who their their initiates or their people are. And so, you know, it's just like working with any other deity in that way. Right. It's been really fascinating for me because I don't know if it's if it's holding the frequency of Egypt and that pantheon, but who's been coming to me a lot has been children of the Yoruba. And of course, we are taught, right, that the Yoruba is a very close practice. You do not want to mess with the Yoruba and you really need to back away unless, you know, you're initiated into that wisdom. But I swear, once a month, I receive a new client who is, you know, Yamaya's daughter, if you will. I mean, I usually just work with women, so I could, I will say daughter um, or you know, Shango's daughter, and I know nothing about them, but they come into this frequency and they start revealing all this information about this person and their ancestry and the practices. And it's so intimidating. <laughs> it's so terrifying because um, I deeply respect them. I deeply respect that culture. And to have them show up just what feels like willy-nilly in a way such a funny phrase but it feels like I don't know if I'm licensed to speak for <laughs> you <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a good example I don't know if it's okay for me to speak on behalf of but this person's here and I have to tell you about them. And then they have, you know, like their own emotional release or breakdown. Like, oh my goodness, this is my father. Oh my goodness, this is, you know, the deity that I feel closest to. I can't believe they're here with you now. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's so intimidating because it's it's a culture that really has been shrouded in mystery. And again, that really goes back to Egypt um and i really like the way that you said do i is am i allowed to bring this information out of our sacred ritual context and i think that's a really good question because um it does feel like you know we need to have some sort of protective barrier but then i'm in meditation and i hear god say you don't need to protect me i right. don't need to 
protected. And so I, I go back to, okay, well, how much is appropriate to share versus how much do I keep to myself in this work? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's a constant process of discernment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially with, I mean, I don't know if you're experiencing this in your own life, but I've been doing a lot of work where I'm, I guess I have to say it plainly, more or less like warding people from dark magic or, you know, from uh, harmful intention, entities, attachments, stuff like that. And so it's been, it's been really, it's, it's kind of like I'm looking at this reality of how much information can one person get based on what their consciousness is available for? Because yeah. if their consciousness is available for ill, then they might desire this information, but not actually receive it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. it's a good point. Because I don't believe that, especially with the Egyptian pantheon, I do not believe by any means that they can be used for negative intent. I believe that they're one of the most divinely guarded and protected pantheon that cannot be used for bad um, mm -hmm. or for harm. But that's kind of the whole point of them is that they were about, you know, returning us back to God so that we weren't in our lower level nature. That's kind of the whole story of Set and being, you know, cast away from the pantheon is you have to let go of your desire to harm others if you're going to be here in this space. We're asking you to be in your divinity. Otherwise, you're gone. Yeah, which is why I think the characters, characterization of um, Egyptian spiritual knowledge as magic is just a complete misunderstanding yeah magic to me grew out of the the christian era like the post-christian era and yes a lot of astrological magic astral magic etc occult is influenced by egypt but i wouldn't necessarily say the same as right. ancient egyptian practices right it's not about, you know, getting super cosmic phenomenal powers, but about accessing what you are able to do with divine wisdom and divine knowledge, which can sometimes include telepathy <laughs> or right. working with the fire element. <laughs> but it's not, it's not an occult ritual like Crowley created, which I think is... Right has been a terrible name for the Egyptian pantheon. Like what the Golden Dawn did to ancient Egypt is such a bastardization. <laughs> and it really makes me angry. <laughs> I agree. It makes me call upon my Sekhem rage. <laughs> I just don't like Crowley though. <laughs> That's my own bias. I'm like, I look at that guy and I'm like, that dude looks evil. How did anyone learn under <laughs> yeah uh oh my goodness we could talk about Egypt forever it's just so good and it 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 really is misunderstood which is why I want to do this um the study group 
because that's exactly, you know, what we're going through in the, the tree of life is that this is not about, you know, occult magic. It's about divine consciousness. And once you get it, you realize what it actually means to have your soul powers in complete alignment with your life. And yes. Yes. <laughs> it's not something yes. I can explain to you. It's something that you have to experience. Like, and plus, you know, there are techniques to do that. I teach something called the Rainbow Bridge Meditation, which I'm fairly convinced is an ancient Egyptian practice, you know, which is designed to bring down more of your soul's energy into this incarnation. Right. Yeah, I would totally agree. I just think that, I think that, um, everything goes back to God. So something, something I've been sitting on recently is, you know, that if God isn't the basis of this work that you're doing, then you're just really tapping into um, nefarious magic, I would call it malevolent magic. And uh, by that, I really mean, you know, we get like drawn in by the desire to have things or to make life go our way and then we get drawn into some of this work thinking that you know we can make what might be considered like our ego's desires manifest but when we really come back to the soul we realize that our god fractal has its own divine purpose and divine service to this planet and as we tap into that we realize that life can be created in a way that is not rooted in this hunger for something, mm -hmm. but is rooted in this service to soul understanding. And that's really where true magic comes from, or what I would consider to be true magic, uh, because it has to come back to letting God lead this way. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. And I think that is something people don't talk about as enough in my view as practitioners. I mean, I think even just saying the word God <laughs> is so fraught yeah. and to say, you know, and, and that's really, you know, when I go into work every day I center my, I try to center myself in God, mm -hmm. not in my idea of anything right. else. Um, or not even in the trainings that I have, you know, to practice these modalities. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I'm really working on doing more of this, this communication specifically on, you know, returning back to God as the example and not in a, in a church way, <laughs> not in any type of way that is other than your own God fractal here now that is available for us. Um, because ultimately that's where things get tricky. And, you know, we really, I, I just, I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, we just have to return to God <laughs> mm -hmm. and things will get bumpy. Life will get a little crazy, but as long as we're coming back into this sense that God ultimately loves us 
and wants the best for us, then we can begin to shift in this way. And I, I keep thinking too, like, we're at such sensitive times with war and with schisms in the collective consciousness. And if 65% of us could be at peace internally rather than at war with ourselves, then I really believe that the idea of war would be completely mind-boggling to the collective consciousness. Yeah. And I just keep feeling like we really have to be stewards of internal peace at this point now. There's there's nothing else that we can do other than be at peace and teach others to be at peace within themselves. And then hopefully <laughs> we can... <laughs> get lots more people to be at peace with us and uh that's my that's my current plan (laughs) it's very wise and it's true when we're at internal peace then we can hold dissonance in the external world thank you jenny Mm -hmm. i appreciate you so much i know that you have another appointment here and you need to get going soon so um if you have any final words i would love to hear them otherwise we'll finish I just want to thank you for having me and for inviting me to talk about God, my own inner divinity, and my practice. Thank you, Jenny. So nice to have you here and to be in the frequency of Dr. Jenny Kellogg. (laughs) Thank you. I have had the pleasure of dancing around you for many years, and I look forward to the many times I get to dance around (laughs) Well, let's dance together sometime. Yes. Well, that that's if you can stay longer than an hour when I see you. That's true. <laughs> true. Fair. Uh, I appreciate you so much, Jenny. Thank you for being here. Likewise. Thank you.